Our scripture lesson that was read came from the Old Testament book of Jonah, the fourth chapter, and the reading commenced from the fifth through the eighth verse. Reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible, we find these words recorded. Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. That statement by Jonah, death is better to me than life, is, church, a statement of depression. We often don't talk much about depression in church, or even in the black community for that matter, but it is a condition that is principally responsible for much of the pain that people experience today. Now, we may all be familiar with the term depression, but do we really know what it is and how to deal with it in a constructive and biblical manner? Do we even understand its root and what it takes to uncover it? Well, today I want to take a look at this thing called depression. And while I'm not able to delve into it in its entirety, I want to at least begin the discussion to that end, I have titled this message, quite simply, The Hidden Anger. I want to begin by talking a little bit about anger. Anger, the way we need to understand it, is mostly automatic, but it's a natural response to pain in one form or another. The pain can be physical, but it can also be emotional, or it can be both. But anger usually comes out when people either don't feel well, feel rejected, feel threatened, or experience some kind of loss. The kind of pain doesn't really matter. All that matters is that the pain that is being experienced is real, and it is altogether unpleasant. Now, what I need you to know is there are three ways that we can look at anger. And the first is that anger never occurs in isolation. But rather, it's usually accompanied by a series of other pain feelings. It's for this reason that anger is sometimes called a secondhand or a secondary emotion. But pain alone is not enough to cause people to express anger. Anger also occurs 
when pain is combined with some kind of anger triggering thought. Thoughts that can trigger anger include personal judgments or assumptions or evaluations or interpretations of situations that makes people think somehow that someone else is attempting to cause them hurt. It is in this sense that anger becomes a social emotion. Feelings of pain combined with anger-triggering thoughts motivate us to take action to defend ourselves by striking out against the target that we believe is causing us the pain. So anger can be a secondary emotion. Anger can be a social emotion. But anger can also be a substitute emotion. By this, what I mean is that sometimes people make themselves angry so that they don't have to feel pain. People change their feelings of pain into anger because it feels better to be angry than it does to experience the pain. And this sometimes happens whether consciously or unconsciously. So when we think of anger, what you need to understand is that it can be a secondary emotion, it, meaning it's accompanied by other pain feelings. It can be a social emotion, meaning it is infused with thoughts and assumptions, whether real or imagined. And three, it is a substitute emotion, meaning it's being used to mask something else. Anger has this ability to travel in packs and groups of feelings that hides the real truth of what's really going on inside of our hearts and it sometimes, sometimes come across as being something imagined whether real in your mind or not. Anger, when expressed, temporarily protects people from having to recognize or to deal with their real painful feelings and it causes people sometimes to hide from the reality that they find frightening or even makes them vulnerable. I'm talking about anger. Now the reason why I'm talking about it is because this appears to be the issue that our prophet Jonah is dealing with. If you're not familiar with the story of Jonah, let me give you a quick background. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And it was a place of great wickedness. The people there are brutal by every stretch of the imagination. As a matter of fact, so brutal were these Ninevites, these people of Assyria, that what they would do to their enemies is they would flay their skin, take off their, their skin, and then they would make mountains of that skin so that all their enemies would see what was awaiting them if they opposed Nineveh. These Assyrians were brutal, and they left nothing to the imagination. One of their greatest adversaries were the Israelites. So it is no secret that a prophet Jonah was really not too fond of these Assyrians. They were enemies of Israel, and they were a people that were most despised. So it is with this awareness that God says to this prophet, Arise! Go to Nineveh and cry against it. But Jonah does something that is completely unexpected. He actually boards a ship and goes in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. The Lord then sends a mighty storm which captures the ship 
tossing it to and fro and putting in danger the lives of everyone on board that ship simply because this prophet was trying to escape the call of God on his life. But the text tells us that the, that the sailors appeal to this Jonah guy and Jonah says, listen, it's because of me. So I need you to pick me up and throw me into the ocean. And if you throw me into the sea, then the storm will stop. Now the sailors were hesitant at first, but when they threw him overboard, the storm ceased. And these sailors now realize that the God of this Jonah was really God. But Jonah, thinking that that was the end, he got swallowed up by a great fish, the part of the story that everybody likes and everybody knows. And then later, this fish vomited Jonah on dry land. And Jonah is now back to square one, where God says to him, Go to this place, Nineveh, for I need you to speak my word. Back to square one. So Jonah walks through the evil city, declaring in 40 days, Nineveh, will be destroyed. And the Ninevites do the most unexpected thing. They repent. And when they repent, God relented from his anger. The problem in the text is that the prophet Jonah was not happy about this. And this is where we pick it up in our text. Jonah was sent to preach good news to these most despised people. They repented. They responded, and Jonah was not pleased. And the text says, then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to Nineveh. So the Lord got appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But I want you to go see something interesting in the text. The text in verse 4, which we don't have here, but it says, But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry. The text tells us that Jonah is angry because one, he despised the Ninevites and did not want them to be saved. The second thing is that he knew God was compassionate and would not destroy them if they repented. Jonah knew that God was loving. These two reasons, my brothers and sisters, are very interesting and disturbing in the text. Let me bring it down our street. Jonah can be likened to a preacher or a pastor that does not care if the people he was sent to preach to got saved. Think about what I just said. Jonah in this moment can be likened to a preacher or a pastor who doesn't care whether or not the flock 
he was sent to got saved or found Jesus or was delivered or healed from their ailment or their issues or their challenges. Can you imagine that for a moment? What's that all about? You're giving people good news and you don't care if they receive it or not. But let's not make this even about the preacher or the pastor. What about you? How is your heart when you see people in church and you harbor thoughts of them not receiving a blessing from God simply because you think they are undeserving of it? The point I'm making is that like Jonah, there can be anger that is kindled in your heart that is based on something other than what you're showing on the surface. Your anger may be based on something entirely different. That's Jonah, that's the preacher, that's me and you. But the second thing that is troubling about Jonah, and I want you to hear me, church. The second thing that is troubling about Jonah is that he's angry because he knows that God is gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Imagine that. Jonah is angry because God is loving. Jonah, like some of us, are harboring anger because we think that God is too kind to undeserving people. We believe that God should curse the people that we think needs to be cursed. God, what is wrong with you? Can't you see what they are doing? Look at me, God. I am living a holy life. I'm going to church. I'm tithing. I'm doing all the wonderful things. But yet still, people who are not even thinking about you seem to be living a much better life than me. God, what point is there to serving and caring and giving my tithes and my offerings and doing all these wonderful things in your house? We're sending all kinds of wonderful things to people in, Port, in, 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 in Guatemala. But yet still our lives are a hot mess. And sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so seems to be just fat, happy, and proud. I want you to understand something. This is a most serious condition that masks itself in false piety. God is God all by himself. And every time you take God off the throne and replace him with yourself, thinking that you are the one that ought to make the decision about who gets blessed and who gets cursed, then I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, they should change your name from whatever it is to Jonah. Because you've got that Jonah spirit, that self-righteous sense that makes you believe that you know what God knows. You are not God and you never will be. For his thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are his ways our ways. He is God all by himself and he and he alone gets to choose who is blessed and who is cursed. What I want you to see, church, is that Jonah's anger is misplaced simply because he thinks more highly of himself 
than he ought. We read these stories, but sometimes we don't see what's hidden and underneath. Recall that I told you that anger is a secondary, a social, and a substitute emotion. And often it makes pain that is really going on in the lives of someone hidden. For Jonah, there is something much deeper going on inside of him. And with the help of God, we're going to be able to see how God deals with people like this. So God says, Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry? It's a question for us today in this church. You're angry for things that no one has caused or brought upon you. You're just angry. So God says, do you have good reason, Jonah? Do you have good reason, preacher? Do you have good reason, Allen Temple, to be angry? The question that God asks is a rhetorical one because God already knows that Jonah has no good reason to be angry. But God wanted Jonah to face his anger and to justify it for himself. When God asked Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry? God was forcing Jonah to be introspective and true to form. Jonah does what every single one of us do whenever we are confronted with our issue. We do what? We run away. How do I know? Jonah then went out from the city. Do you see it? Jonah was confronted with his anger and Jonah went out from the city. He ran away. But that were, if that were enough, it would be bad. But here's what he did. He then made a shelter for himself, sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to those people. Jonah was in his own pity party. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to that place where you are so angry that God didn't do what you expected him to do? So rather than celebrate your brother and your sister, their blessing, you go away and you sulk, waiting, praying, wishing for the day that calamity would come upon them so you could feel good about yourself. It's a dangerous place when the people of God in the church believe that their happiness is going to come on the back of someone else's suffering. When you can't be happy for someone else's blessing, my brothers and sisters, your name might as well be changed to Jonah. Are you seeing the prophet in a whole different way? God is God. And while Jonah went, Jonah sat there with an expectation that God might still go back on his word and destroy those people. It didn't matter to Jonah whether the people repented. It didn't matter to Jonah whether those people were sorry for their evil. It didn't matter to Jonah. All that mattered to Jonah was that I was not getting what I want from the God I've been serving all of my life. Now, let me make this really, really real to you. Like many of you, I've been glued to the news media and television ever since special counsel Robert Mueller's report was turned over to Attorney General William Barr. Y'all know what's going on. Now, according to Attorney General, he wrote a summary of the report. Over 400 pages, he wrote a summary. And in his summary, he seems to have concluded that Special Counsel Mueller was not able to substantiate that anyone 
associated with the Trump campaign, knowingly and willingly conspired with Russia to influence the 2016 presidential elections. Now, even though Attorney General Barr's summary neither con condemned nor vindicated the president, it didn't stop Trump from declaring total exoneration. So we get that. But the reason why I'm bringing this up, my brothers and my sisters, is because there is a widespread disappointment across much of the anti-Trump world that the report was not more condemning. Yet if we are honest, and we are in church, shouldn't the fact that there is a potential that there was no collusion be a good thing for all Americans? Shouldn't that be a good thing? Shouldn't we feel good that, yes, <laughs> there are issues, but the fact that they may not be, now I'm not saying that there isn't. I'm not suggesting that there wasn't. I think there was is. But, I'm not, but the report is saying one thing. But, what, but stay with me. If it is true that there was not any collusion, all Americans should celebrate that fact. But here's what I'm saying. Does your disdain for the president Stir up an emotion in you that you cannot celebrate the possibility of no collusion good news because you'd rather see him destroyed. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because if that is the case, then how are you and I different from Jonah? When did we become judge. None of us read the report. What I'm trying to tell you is that when you are so stuck in seeing the destruction of those you don't like, no news is good news. You are Jonah. So it's easy for us to point finger at Jonah but not see the hypocrisy of who we are. Now, I understand, and I say it all the time, that many of us believe that Donald Trump is corrupt. He's a corrupt, lying, immoral, and treasonous vagabond. But can we be okay if God wants to save him? Can we be okay with that? Can we be okay with God wanting to bring deliverance and hope to the godless around us. Can we be okay with that? Can we celebrate that? And that's what I'm saying, my brothers and sisters, if we choose to make a shelter for ourselves and to hide under it and have our own pity party, waiting and hoping on the destruction of someone we have great disdain for, then my brothers and sisters, you don't need me to convince you that you are already Jonah in your heart. Something is going on inside of you that you believe that you are judge over someone else's salvation, whether or not we believe they are good people. I am telling you the truth. It is not something that you need, that, that you're hearing because everyone, particularly in our community, is comfortable with sending him to hell. So God says, I need you to go to a people. A people who you have no love for, who has no love for you, and give them the good news. 
Because I know if you tell them that in 40 days that they're going to be destroyed, the possibility exists that they might turn from their wicked ways. That they may seek my forgiveness. That healing may come to their land. And you've got to be okay with that, Jonah. And church, we got to be okay with that. Now, I'm not saying that we are. I'm saying we got to be. And that's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. So, 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 so here's where I'm going as I get ready to close. So the Lord God, in verse 6. Now, Jonah is having his what? Pity party. Watch the text. Watch what God does. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. What's going on here, Pastor? God appointed a plant to ease Jonah's discomfort. Then God appointed a worm to destroy the plant that was easing Jonah's discomfort. And to make matters worse, God appointed a scorching east wind to beat down on Jonah's head, so much so that Jonah's anger could no longer be contained. What on earth is God doing? I am glad you asked. You see, extreme aggravation always invites extreme intervention. Recall that I told you that Jonah's anger was masking something much deeper than what we see on the surface. Yes, Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because they were a brutal people and he hated them. Yes, Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because he knew that God would save them if they repented. Yes, Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because he wanted those people to be destroyed. But while all of these reasons are, 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 are there for Jonah and they are valid altogether, they are not good enough reasons for someone to want to die. Those are not good enough reasons. I can no longer want to see you get blessed by God. I can want to see you destroyed by God. I can even want to see, I may not even want to see God blessing you if you repent, but those are not reasons for me to want to think that I need to die. So what's going on with Jonah, Eve? What's going on? Something's going on with Jonah. Now, if you read the whole book, three times Jonah did something interesting. Watch. In chapter 1, verse 12, he said to them, to the sailors, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know on that account of me this great storm has come upon you. Jonah wanted them to kill him. Chapter 4 and verse 3, it reads, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Then in verse four and verse eight, chapter 4 and verse 8, Jonah says, when the, it says, When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down, and then Jonah said what? Death is better to me than life. Three times in the text, Jonah is alluding to take my life, take my life. But there is something very interesting that I notice In none of these instances... And Holy Spirit, thank you. In none of these instances, Jonah had the courage to take his life himself. 
Did you see that? Jonah wanted somebody else to take him out of his pity party. Jonah didn't have the courage to even deal with the very thing that was causing him pain. Something about Jonah is saying, I'm a coward. Let someone else take me out of my misery. Let someone else be, do the dirty work for me. Do you see Jonah? Jonah is a coward. You see, but you see, there's more. Because I want you to see the prophet. Because until you see the prophet, you can't see you. Most people, when they're angry, they usually direct their frustrations outwards towards the object of their anger. Most people, when they're angry, if I make you mad, you're, you, you can direct your anger at me. Most people do that. But, but for Jonah to prefer death than to see the people of Nineveh saved means that Jonah's anger had moved from being secondary, from being social, from, from being substitutional, his anger moved from that emotion to now being internal. See, he's now shifted his anger and made it internal. Jonah was making all of this about himself. Brothers and sisters, Jonah had lost hope in himself and felt that by dying, he would rid himself of the pain that was burning in his heart. A pain so excruciating that he did not want to face it himself. Jonah saw death as his only way out. And this is why I make the argument that Jonah is dealing with depression. You see, depression is more than just a loss of hope. I need you to hear with me, church, as I wrap this up. Depression is more than just a loss of hope. While anger tries to hide the physical and the emotional pain, depression identifies with the pain and turns around and then uses that same pain as a means of survival. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Depression takes the pain and says, I need to keep this pain in order to survive. And so you end up in this cycle where the person goes around and around in this feeling of hopelessness. And it becomes so excruciating that they are forced to believe that death is a more reasonable outcome. I don't know if you see this. Let me put it where the goats can get it. I need the pain to live, but I do not want to live with the pain. I need the pain to live, but I do not want to live with the pain. That's the cycle. Do you see it? I need the pain to live, but I do not want to live with the pain. So you're going back and forth and you're spiraling deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's why I call it the hidden anger. Y'all got to see this. Because many of you are dealing with that same issue. I, 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 I don't really want to release the pain, but I like the pain to stay with me, but I don't want to live with the pain. You're, you're, you're schizophrenic. But I'm not judging you. I'm saying you're depressed. But here's God's method. And this is where we're going to wrap up. You see, whenever you want to know how to deal with these kinds of things, brothers and sisters, look to the Lord. God will always give you the way out. Don't forget what I said. 
I need the pain to live, but I don't want to live with the pain. So here's what God does. If you're ready to be blessed or to bless someone you know who's dealing with depression, look at God's method because you're going to walk out of here today being able to transform the world. God intervened verbally because the incident of the worm and the, was not planned as, an, as a, a harassment to Jonah, but an opportunity to teach Jonah something about his own inconsistency. I need the pain to live, but I don't want to live with the pain. The inconsistency with Jonah is what God is targeting. So God says to Jonah, what right do you have to be angry? Look at the inconsistency. Keep that in your forefront of your minds. I, I, I need the pain to live, but I don't want to live with the pain. God says, what right do you have to be angry? Notice that God is not talking about the pain. God is talking about anger. So I'm telling you, when you see people in that mode, understand first and foremost that they are angry. They are angry, but the angry is an internal anger. It's hidden. So God says, what right do you have to be angry about the worm? <laughs> I don't know if you all are seeing this. The question about the right to be angry is kind of central and crucial to the book. <laughs> what right do we have to demand that God should favor us and not others? By reducing the question to the issue of the worm. God focused it in a way, I don't know if y'all are getting this, I pray y'all are getting this, in a way that would cause Jonah to condemn himself by his own words. And that's exactly what Jonah did. His reply to God could not have been more appropriate to the point that God will make. You see, Jonah insisted in no uncertain terms, God, the plant was important to me. Y'all are seeing this. Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But then God appointed, God allowed him to go through the night with his plant. And in the morning, God took it. <laughs> Help me, Holy Spirit. Help me, Holy Spirit. The plant was significant in the eyes of Jonah. He loved it. He had delight in it. But now that it was dead, he was furious. You see, Jonah's problem is he had a hidden anger. When people are dealing with depression, their anger is turned inward. It's almost like a black hole. If you've seen black hole in space, everything gets sucked into it. But what God wanted Jonah to do was to see his anger and then refocus his anger outwards. When you get people who are depressed to express their anger at the object of their displeasure, they shift from inward to outward. It moves. That's why Jesus says, be angry and sin not. When your anger is pointed at the real issue out of you, you don't have time to, 
I need the pain to live, but I don't want to live with the pain. God got Jonah right where he wanted him. Of his own free will, Jonah de declared the plant to be extremely worthy to live. A thing of great concern to himself. So I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, I'm really having a hard time really trying to explain this. He expressed outrage that the plant had been annihilated. It's horribly wrong that the plant had been struck down. So God is saying, how can it be right for Nineveh to be struck down? If it was not right for the plant, how could it be right for Nineveh? Jonah couldn't give a good answer to that question. Because what God did was God showed concern. And concern will always pull people out of depression. Most times when people are depressed, it's because they believe that they have no hope. And so church, what I'm explaining to you is that we do what God does. God focused on the anger, but not on the behavior. God had a way of looking right into the heart and saying, okay, what right do you have to be angry? But then God did something else. He observed what Jonah cared about. This will bless you. Verse 5 says, Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what... Pay attention to people who are depressed. Look at what they are interested in. If there is something that they like, that they, Jonah went and made a shelter for himself, which means that whatever was going on in the heart of Jonah, shelter was something important to him. So God says, if shelter is important to you, I'm going to give you a really good shelter. And when Jonah got that shelter, what did the text say? He was extremely happy about it. So you give them what they are extremely happy about. And then you do what's hard for most people and most caregivers to do. You take it away. Because what you have done is you have given them the object of their desires. And when you remove it, the anger has no place else to go except outwards. And it moves from inwards to outwards. You see, I'm telling you, when people are depressed, get them to express their anger. And the best way to get them to express their anger is to give them something they like and then take it away. Jesus was the way for us. Do you see Jesus? He came healing the sick, clothing the naked, giving the people what they liked. They were sinful but didn't know that they were in sin. So God sent them something they would like in the form of Jesus. Born as a babe in a manger. Came out laying hands, making everybody happy. They want to touch the hem of his garment. They want him to turn water into wine. They wanted all the wonderful things that Jesus was doing. But then what did God do on that good Friday? God took him away. God took him away. 
And the people were stuck. What are we to do now? What are we to do now? And that's when the church began to grow. I don't know if you see the parallel in the text. But you got to really look deep. Because what I'm telling you is God never changes his methods. He's the same God. And I'm telling you right now, if you know someone who is depressed, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to help you deal with them God's way. But if by chance you are the one that's depressed, right now, I'm telling you that the thing you're looking for from Jesus, the thing that you're looking for from him, he has already given to you. But he's also going to send his angels around you to maybe have the courage to give you something you want and then take it away. The anger has to shift from being inward looking to being outward looking. Unless that happens, people are going to keep spiraling downwards, downwards, and downwards. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I don't know what you heard today, church, but I'm telling you, somebody needs to understand that God is not cruel. God was not being mean to Jonah by letting that scorching thing. God was letting Jonah express his anger. Death, oh God, is better to me than life. I tell you every Sunday, when you come to this altar, don't pretend. Because God will meet you right where you are. We've got a lot of people walking around with hidden anger. Anger that has turned inside, waiting for someone to just take you out so that you can have an excuse. That's not God's way. And that's not going to be our way. So if you are in this church and you're depressed, I'm telling you right now, I'm putting you on notice. I'm going to be looking for something that you like. Because sometimes, and I'll make it bring it down your street. Sometimes the thing you like is you want to meet with the pastor. Well, you can. But at some point, that's going to be taken away. Because what I want you to understand is that the help that Jonah needed he already had the power and if God is sending you on a mission that you don't want to do and you're turning away from it believe me the text says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time don't wait until you're in the belly of a fish of depression before you find the courage to ask for God to be there for you he sent the church we'll do the best that we can But at some point, you've got to stand up and recognize that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And you can do it. You don't need the bottle. You don't need the drug. You don't need whatever it is that you have. Get out from your pity party. Harsh language. Get out from your pity party. Because we're going to stand and walk with you. And you don't have to walk alone.